This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of the Sentinel Fort in Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. And we've got a rapidly consolidating Democratic primary. The rap boy drops out on Sunday. Amy Klobuchar dropping out on Monday. Reports are she is going to meet Joe Biden in Texas on Monday night and endorse him. My guess is Pete Buttigieg might make an appearance there as well. Yeah, it's uh, you're concerned by this. I, I my stomach is in knots right now, and I probably shouldn't be that nervous because head to head, Bernie is beating Biden by four points. From a YouGov poll. That poll was before South Carolina. It was indeed before South Carolina. Also, if it's Biden versus Bernie on the debate stage, Bernie is going to splice him. Yeah, that's where I'm most confident. Not so much in what the prior polls have said, but just Bernie's stamina advantage over the long haul of this. If it's going to be a two-person contest, and it might end up being a three-person contest with Elizabeth Warren running a zombie campaign till the end. We'll see what happens there. But if it's just Biden versus Bernie, if those are the two real choices, I like Bernie's chances against Biden in the long haul with Biden being forced to be on point every day at every campaign rally, at every debate. He's not going to be able to do it. Biden put all of his eggs in a single basket in South Carolina. And it paid off. It did pay off. But (laughs) it can only pay off so much, I think. Right. He's not going to have all the institutional support he had in South Carolina. He has no ground game. None. Whatso-fucking-ever. The only thing he has going for him is this theory that he is the best to take on Bernie Sanders. I think... Elizabeth Warren would probably be better suited uh, for the centrists to get behind if they were looking for an anti-Bernie candidate. And I, re- I yeah, but don't... she's not even palatable to centrists. Well, she's. It seems like she's trying to make herself increasingly so. Her speech uh, after South Carolina, she she took a chunk out of it to bash Bernie. Yeah. To she to also hit him with bashed the... Biden. She, okay. And she bashed bash Bloomberg in it as well but well it has been uh, months almost like a year into the race and she has yet to go after Joe Biden for his work on the bankruptcy bill it's true even though that is like central uh, to her studies as a uh, a bankruptcy law expert and central to uh, her message as the system being rigged because of people like Joe Biden yeah because Joe Biden is the need for big structural change. Yeah, no, she hasn't. And to, to be fair, neither has, I mean, Bernie's gone after Biden a little bit on Social Security uh, a couple months ago. But Biden has escaped this primary without much scrutiny at all, uh, including in the whole run up to the South Carolina primary where he lied about being arrested in South Africa. Didn't matter, though. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Not one fucking bit. I think Bernie will be able to focus more on Biden with all these other people out. I mean, it was a bit hard for and he tried. Bernie tried to go after Biden on Social Security. Mm-hmm. And I think to some good effect, he, he you know, he made uh, some headway with the voters on those attacks. Well, I think the, the issue was but, Biden collapsed in the polls. He was no longer as much of a threat, but he's right. back now. Time to return to those Social Security attacks. But also on that same debate stage. 
You had Buttigieg coming with his insipid attacks left and right. Yeah. I believe when Bernie uh, was bringing up the Social Security, when he started doing that, that was the debate where uh, Elizabeth Warren's team leaked to the press that that supposed conversation where Bernie told oh. her that she would never that a woman could never be. She must president. have known. She must have known Bernie was planning the attack on Joe Biden. No, no, that's <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. I'm I know just you're saying not. he had a, he had a lot on his plate. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe she did know. Quite frankly, <laughs> look, if you are Elizabeth Warren fan, if you are an Elizabeth Warren fan, and you listen to this show still for some reason, first of all. Uh, Thank you I would for sticking we have around. Some fans. Uh, secondly, we have done our best to uh, give Elizabeth Warren supporters the benefit of the doubt and give, uh, quite frankly, we've probably given Elizabeth Warren herself too much of the benefit of the doubt over the past few months. Uh, I think I think we did we did scrutinize her fairly, but whatever. The point is, is if you want any kind of left wing agenda. Over the next four years, you got to get behind Bernie at this point. I'm not yes. trying to be a dick about it. It's just that's the way the race is shaping up. Elizabeth Warren has no path to the nomination. She is getting money from obscenely rich people to fund a super PAC, right? You don't raise fucking $14 million in 10 days uh, from $17 donations. There's She's got to go. She's talking about a brokered convention She's she might not here's, get out of this campaign. Here's you have to support Listen. Bernie. You have to do it. Right. Okay. Here's there's two things going on. One, there's the debate about Warren versus Bernie, who the better candidate is. That's clearly Bernie. Uh, that also includes like the current situation that he is winning. So even if you thought Warren might have been the better candidate at the beginning, it's clear that she can no longer win, and the uh, centrists are consolidating around Joe Biden. Bernie's the only hope of getting anything close to the uh, policy agenda that Warren has put forward past at this point in the race. So that's one discussion happening. It's pretty easy to make the case for why Bernie is better than Warren and why Warren supporters should go to Bernie at this point. And we should continue making that case. The other discussion that's happening is how to get Warren out of the race. <laughs> because tweeting at Warren is not going to get her out of the race. The Bernie Sanders campaign launching a bunch of negative ads against Warren is not going to get her out of the race and is not going to help his campaign. There's only two ways that Warren is going to get out of the race. One, she continues losing. Her support continues leaving her and going to Bernie or other candidates, her fundraising dries up and she can't continue anymore. She can keep having her super PAC run ads and stuff for, uh, maybe she can continue like a skeleton campaign staff to go all the way to the convention. But at some point she is no longer running a viable campaign, no longer has the donations and that's the end of her campaign. But that might take a while. I mean, she raised $30 million last month. Uh, there are some diehard supporters who are going to con continue to stay with her. So uh, wait, just beating her, doing what we're doing right now, the Sanders campaign doing what it's doing right now of beating her is not going to force her out of the race tomorrow. It might take a while. So the only other way to get Warren out of the race sooner, it would be if Sanders cut a deal with her. And I don't know if this has already happened. I don't know if the Sanders campaign has already made outreaches to the Warren campaign and been rebuffed. 
A lot of people on Twitter seem to think this has already happened. Um, I haven't seen that evidence. I don't have a source in the campaign that's confirmed that with me that uh, such outreaches have happened. And if they've happened and Warren campaign has said, no, we're going to the convention, we don't want any interest in unity, then I can understand why people would react so angrily to ideas of of unity because the Warren campaign has already rejected it. But uh, until I see that evidence, it's incumbent upon the Sanders campaign to do whatever it can to get Warren out of the race sooner and get her support. That's part of running a presidential campaign. That's part of of consolidating support behind your candidate, making offers that they can't refuse. She is rapidly dwindling any power that she, she has. She's losing any power that she had. So, yes, I know people have made an argument. Oh, well, she's running to be Joe Biden's VP. No, she's not. Joe Biden's not going to name her VP. It's not going to happen. Maybe she's running to be Joe Biden's Treasury Secretary. Okay, but I don't see why the Sanders campaign can't offer her that and make the case to her that we've got a better chance of actually winning and giving you power than Joe Biden has. So I don't know, like we're in a tough situation in terms of trying to force Sanders or trying to force Warren out of the race. There aren't many options available. I would imagine that uh, the deal that had been floated earlier which uh, the Intercept reported where Sanders was looking into making Warren both a VP and a Treasury Secretary at the same time. I would imagine that uh, some remnants of that deal are, are, or that, that idea are still valid. I mean, we have seen that Bernie himself, despite what everyone says about Bernie supporters, Bernie rarely utters a negative word about his opponents. Yeah, no. Yeah, and true. he has not—he has not made any sort of uh, attacks on Warren, even though he's well within his right to. Yeah, they and, just determined strategically it's not useful. Right, but anyway, the point is, I—I I would hope that uh, that some semblance of that offer is still available. I mean, I not—I'm increasingly uh disgusted with elizabeth warren as a sure. political figure I but too. for pragmatic purposes if I, this I, is the only way right. that bernie's gonna win i'll take warren as treasury secretary right and i think she i don't would, have too much pride online <laughs> i don't but, i think she would do a better job as a treasury secretary under a sanders administration certainly than under a biden administration and all the things that she says she cares about would probably go to die in a Biden administration and she'd probably yes. resign in disgrace or get fired like eight months into her her uh, her stint as the theoretical Biden Treasury Secretary. So, yeah, it all arrows point to Elizabeth Warren drop out, endorse Bernie. If that's if the that, way if that intercept article was accurate, and I have no reason to believe that it wasn't accurate, that the Sanders campaign was indeed looking in to whether it could uh, have Warren on as a VP and a Treasury secretary. Still, we don't know if that offer was explicitly made to the Warren campaign. If it was made to the Warren campaign and re rejected, remember that came like last year that was a long that time was a ago. long time yes. ago when warren was uh, in much better shape in the polls and before any of these contests have occurred in which she's placed like third fourth fifth and fifth so uh the, the race has changed she has lost leverage bernie has a lot more leverage there's 
long been an idea and we've 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 believed in it for a while now that if this primary goes to a contested convention bernie loses that like that's the game is to not allow for a contested convention but we're probably going to emerge after super tuesday with it looking inevitable that there's going to be a contested convention and we can't just accept defeat we got to we've got to figure out a way that bernie can win that even though it's going to be hard but look this is a campaign that has performed very well. The Sanders campaign has performed very well to date. Uh, I trust the people working on this campaign. I trust that they're aware of the situation and that they are planning for how they could possibly win a contested convention. I think one more thing that we should address is the idea that a Biden candidacy at the top of the ticket would benefit Democrats in Congress. Oh, that's bullshit. It's total bullshit. And yeah. do, do you want to, you, you well, were just the argument that Sanders at the top of the ticket hurts down ballot candidates is merely an attempt to turn one of Bernie Sanders biggest strengths into a weakness because it's the opposite. We know that the strength of the Sanders campaign is that he's going to bring millions of new people to the polls, people who haven't really voted in congressional races and down ballot races before. They're going to support Bernie and they're just going to support Democrats down the line because they were brought to the poll by Bernie and he is their connection to politics. Millions of new people will turn out and vote in down ballot races Yeah, because of this. I don't see any evidence for Bernie hurting down ballot candidates. And there's lots of evidence for him helping down ballot candidates. And not to mention that the type of voters Biden brings to the ticket, brings to the voting booth, the type of voters he brings that will vote Democratic on the presidential ticket, they are probably much more likely to split the ticket and vote Republican than the uh, Sanders voter. Yes, so it, definitely. It, it, it could be a scenario where both Biden and Bernie we are both Biden and Bernie are beating Trump uh, and the polls show that both of them are to be clear but with Bernie at the top of the ticket you're going to have fewer defectors with Biden you're probably going to have many more defectors fucked up all right let's do this it's Monday March 2nd 2020 here's the news all it took was one weekend for President Trump's peace deal with the Taliban to fall apart the White House spent the weekend touting the agreement to end the 19-year war in Afghanistan. It would have entailed a full U.S. troop withdrawal from the country within 14 months, dependent upon negotiations between the Taliban and the current Afghan government, and a continued reduction in violence. Defense Secretary Mark Esper was in Kabul on Saturday to approve the agreement. Well, two days later, it looks to be in shambles. Too for, bad I uh, framed my Washington Post front page on Saturday, <laughs> which had this story in fucking bold above the centerfold. <laughs> Violence between the Taliban and Afghan government resumed, according to news outlet AFP. Uh, the Taliban, in fact, on Monday announced that it will resume offensive operations. Also, one of the conditions of the agreement, a prisoner swap in which the Afghan government released 5,000 Taliban prisoners and the Taliban released 1,000 of their own prisoners, doesn't look like it's going forward. Afghan President Ashraf Ghani told reporters on Monday, quote, there is no commitment to releasing 5,000 prisoners. In response, the Taliban refused to engage in negotiations with the Afghan government on Monday. The White House broke news of the ceasefire deal during a press conference on Saturday, in which it also announced the first U.S. death of coronavirus. 
50-year-old man in Washington state. The administration had been panned for its early response efforts to the virus. A second coronavirus death has since been confirmed, also in Washington state. So whether or not the administration was pursuing an actual ceasefire in Afghanistan or looking for a distraction in the news cycle remains to be seen, but actions in Kabul on Monday certainly point to the latter. Also on Monday, one of President Trump's closest allies in the Senate, Lindsey Graham, shit all over the idea of a U.S. troop withdrawal in Afghanistan. Appearing on Fox News, Graham said, quote, Let's don't do in Afghanistan what Obama did in Iraq. Pull the plug on the place and allow radical Islam to come roaring back, end quote. Graham, echoing the words of his dead friend John McCain, called for a long-term U.S. force presence in Afghanistan even after the war had ended, if it ever ends. Two weeks ago, we noted how President Trump likes to appoint top officials on an acting basis because it allows him to sidestep the Senate confirmation process to appoint loyalists and hardline reactionaries. Yesterday, a federal court in Washington ruled that one of these appointments was illegal. U.S. District Judge Randolph Moss said that King Cuccinelli's appointment violates the Federal Vacancies Reform Act of 1998. Cuccinelli was appointed acting director of U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, but he wasn't qualified under the law. Namely, Cuccinelli hadn't been confirmed by the Senate for another position at the agency he led. Moss wrote that if the appointment were upheld, quote, the universe of those eligible to serve in an acting capacity would be vastly expanded. The Department of Homeland Security told the Associated Press that it disagrees with the ruling. It's weighing its options on how to proceed. Expect an appeal to be launched soon. In the meantime, Judge Moss struck down Cuccinelli directives to speed up hearings for asylum seekers. The orders had decreased the amount of time asylum seekers had to prepare for so-called credible fear interviews to a single calendar day down from 72 hours for families and 48 hours for individuals. Of course, Cuccinelli has had a hand in other policies like the 1930s-era public charge rule, barring working-class foreigners from settling in the United States. It's unclear why this wasn't also annulled, along with everything USCIS has done since June. One thing that did change, however, Cuccinelli's Twitter account. His bio currently says a personal account, and Cuccinelli did that classic move that many posters do when they're taking heat. He locked his account. Coward. Only approved followers can see his posts right now. He's not mad. He just needs some space. Finally, a path forward on surveillance reform still has not emerged with less than two weeks to go before notorious spying authorities are set to expire. Four provisions under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, or FISA, sunset on March 15th. They include powers that broaden the federal government's ability to secure wiretaps on roaming targets and to spy on individuals deemed to be lone wolves. They also include more controversial provisions related to how federal authorities can collect business records on a surveillance target and an authority to collect call details records. That's the one uh, most notably that underpinned the NSA's massive telephone metadata program revealed by whistleblower Edward Snowden. The House Intelligence Committee was set last week to mark up a moderate reform bill that would have extended all the surveillance authorities except the one that underpinned the call detail records program, which the NSA had already shuttered after it was found to be vulnerable to constitutional violations. But the bill was pulled after Democratic Rep. Zoe Lofgren tried to offer amendments to further rein in U.S. spies. Now it looks like lawmakers are trying to find a way to pass a short-term, full reauthorization and kick the can down the road. There were reports at the end of last week 
that House Democrats were even considering attaching a clean Pfizer reauthorization bill to a coronavirus funding bill, a fucking terrible idea that was panned by both parties, prompting Pelosi to back off of it. Amid this fight over FISA, the president is picking another fight that he just lost in the intelligence arena. He has renominated the far right wing Republican representative John Ratcliffe to be the director of national intelligence. Less than a year after Trump nominated Ratcliffe to the same position, only to pull the nomination later due to bipartisan opposition. Ratcliffe had been caught lying about his professional background, claiming he was a part of prosecution teams that he wasn't. He also doesn't have any relevant national security experience, usually deemed a prerequisite to head up U.S. intelligence operations. Ratcliffe was one of Trump's most aggressive defenders during the impeachment hearings in the House, though. The role of DNI is currently occupied by Trump toady Richard Grinnell, former ambassador to Germany, who, while there, tried to empower the German far right. What could go wrong there? I think Grinnell is uh, the current ambassador. He, yeah, still he, ambassador. he is still ambassador. Yeah. He's just serving DNI. Both jobs. In, in an acting uh, way. Normal. Totally normal. Totally normal. I had one more final thought before we go here. Something I wanted to say at the top of the show is I'm really upset at how the uh, Amy Klobuchar's campaign is ending. I think it's a disgrace that she is ending it by being able to endorse Biden and and being able to have some sort of leverage, even if it's small, even if it's marginal. She should have been forced out of the race after the stories came out about her abusing her staff. And quite frankly, if the Senate Ethics Committee doesn't investigate her for that, it shouldn't be there. I mean, it obviously shouldn't be there anyway. Well, we're not going to forget about it. We're not going to forget about it, but... Where is the fucking investigative, where's the oversight body at the Senate? You have a senator accused very credibly of abusing and and assaulting her staff over and over again. Where's the investigation? That music means we are moving on to the poetry portion of the show where we write and read haiku for all our new subscribers on Patreon. Patreon.com slash District Sentinel. This first one goes out to Technopathos. Everybody's hyped for Super Tuesday. I'm hyped for Soup on Tuesday. Oh, thank you slash sorry, Technopathos. (laughs) Is that that the superb owl joke (laughs) of Super Tuesday? This is for John. There is no future... None whatsoever with a President Biden. Thank you, John. This is for Bradley. Rat boy dropping out and endorsing Joe Biden, a rat kingmaker. Thank you, Bradley. Finally, this is for Sonia. Senator Amy hurling binders at angels, salad comb heaven. Thank you. Thank you, Sonia. And thanks to all the new subscribers. Patreon.com slash District Sentinel. We got more haiku coming up on tomorrow's show for all you new subscribers out there all right we will be back tomorrow with a brand new newscast we're here in dc so you don't have to be